Uh, let's go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 3. Can you believe it? The year is coming to an end. Seems like just the other day we were saying Happy New Year. And now we are about to do so again. Uh, this is a fantastic time of year. Uh, we're gonna, the title of the lesson today is One Thing I Do. And uh, it is uh, from Philippians 3. We're going to read the whole chapter. And... Uh, uh, amen. Let's just read together and then let's, uh, let's say a few things and try to not put you to sleep. <laughs> Philippians 3 verse 1. Uh, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision. We who serve God by His Spirit who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God, on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes to know the power of His resurrection, and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, that's the title of the message, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Amen. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you, only let us live up to what we have already attained, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do, for as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Amen. One thing I do. You know, have you ever wanted to do something so much that you forgot to eat. <laughs> Has this ever happened to you? Um, there are people. There really are people. There are such people. Maybe even in this room. Uh, who are so focused on getting something done. That they forgot to eat. Uh, you know if someone hadn't brought them food. Uh, they would have gone hungry for a very long time. And uh, I have to confess. I do not struggle with this problem. <laughs> But, but you know, in this passage, Paul talks about a focus on Christ uh, that is startling. Uh, you know, he talks about his desire to know Christ, and uh, he says that, you know, it was so great, he'd happily give up everything uh, that he considered valuable in order to have more Jesus in his life. 
Uh, he, you know, he says, he, he talks about his ancestry as a high-ranking Jew, and he said, means nothing to me. Means nothing to me compared to knowing Christ. Talks about his achievements as a religious scholar and a leader, and uh, means nothing to me. It says, God, I don't know if this is the, remember we used to have NIVs printed in the UK, and I think it used to say rubbish. Yeah. Now it says garbage, but on the other hand, the years have moved, moved on. And maybe it's more acceptable to say garbage here as well, you know. Uh, words imported from across the pond and all that. And, uh, you know, he, he, he talks he talks about, how, you know, a comfort doesn't mean anything to him. Uh, why? How do I know that? Because he says, he says, I, I, I want to share. It's, it's actually one of my goals to share in the sufferings of Christ. Um, how's that? Year coming to an end? Making some New Year's goals for 2020? A 2020 vision. I want to share in the sufferings of Christ. We'd be looking at each other like, amen, bro. Uh, I'm convicted and I can't relate, you know. But uh, but that's what he said. That's what he said. You know, um, he says his life, in fact, meant nothing. Because he wanted to share in Christ's death. Uh, why all this? Obviously, because, he, you know, he had a view that went beyond that. And that view was uh, that he would share in, in, in Christ's resurrection. Now, I'm sure you would agree, that's a pretty all-consuming passion. It's an all-consuming passion. One of, one of the things that's happening in 2020, again, is, uh, you know, believe it or not, four years have, will have gone by, and we will be having in the summer another Summer Olympics. And, uh, you know, while, while, but once in four years, uh, you know, most of us get a little, at least a little bit, you know, on a spectrum, a little bit to a lot excited about the Olympics and we, you know, we switch on and catch up with, with, we suddenly remember that there's a lot of sports besides football in the world. And, uh, and, and, but, but the athletes, they've been consumed all of these, these past years, right? There was a, many, many years ago, uh, too many years ago for, for most of you, uh, some of you may remember, there was a, there was a swimmer, an Olympic swimmer who won, uh, I think he won three golds in, in one of the Olympics back in the 80s or something, you know. Uh, his name was, his name, his name, I remember his name more than which year he won. His name was Rowdy Gaines. And he was an, he was an American Olympic swimming champion, multiple gold, uh, medal, medalist. And I think after retiring, either in an interview or in, in a book or in an article, he talked about, um, he, you know, he was reflecting on how much training and how much focus goes into winning an Olympic medal. And uh, so one of the things he did was he thought about, you know, before I won those gold medals, he thought about all the years of practice, and he thought about all the practice laps that he had done. And he started calculating, you know, the, the swimming pool I practice in is, a, is an Olympic-sized 50-meter pool, and, uh, you know, he, 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 he tots it up the number of days that he practiced and the average, you know, number of laps that he did in training, and uh, and then he, he multiplied, you know, he worked out how many miles that was. And, uh, you know, he reflected and he realized that he must have swum some 20,000 miles in laps just to practice for for that Olympic victory. And, and then he thought about it some more and he realized 20,000 miles is just a little bit less than the circumference of the earth. And so, you know, he made this statement. He said, I swam around the world in order to win a race that was over in 49 seconds. Wow. Wow. 
That's focus. You know, he's focused on a single goal. And, uh, you know, when, when you're that focused, you've got to prioritize what's important. You've got to eliminate that which distracts you from what's important. And, uh, the, but the things that count, you have to do over and over and over again. And, uh, and, and faithfully so, because you're focused on a big prize that's ahead of you. That's right. And, uh, that prize may be way in the distance. And yet, uh, what we do, uh, today counts, counts so much, uh, towards that. Let, let's talk, let's ask three questions today. The first is, why do hopes disappoint us? The second is, how does Christ fulfill? And the third is, when is it time to move on? Why do hopes disappoint us? How does Christ fulfill? And when is it time to move on? Uh, why do hopes disappoint us, first of all? You know, uh, the children are... I, I love being in this building, by the way. And uh, one of the reasons I love it is, it's awesome to, to come to a place that's called... King Solomon International School. And the, the, other, the other thing is, you know, as, as I think it was Tosin doing the welcome, and he said, don't use the toilets back there, but use the toilets that are over there. And I felt like shouting out, if you can't find them, just look for the scriptures on the wall. <laughs> so I, I, as I was walking to the men's room, you know, before the service today, I thought, wow, look at all these scriptures. And I, I asked, I asked a, a disciple that was passing by, I asked the sister, I said, is, does this building actually belong to us? <laughs> so, this is awesome, you know. It's like, I'm like, this is great. So it's, it's, it's great having that. Um, the, the kids... The kids are not here in the room today. I see a few around, but most of them are, are in kids' kingdom. You know, if you ask a child, what do you want to be when they grow up? If you ask a question to that question to a child, there's two responses you get. One is, they're a little clueless. They're like, mm, I never thought about that, you know. Um, or the second is, they, they get a real gleam in their eye. And uh, they never say anything boring. Never, 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 you know. Uh, they want to be a firefighter. Or they want to be a pilot. Or they want to make toys. Or they want to live in Disneyland forever. You know? Um, you know, may, they want loads of people around them. Maybe they'll say something very mature, like, I want to be a teacher. But, but, a, but a part of that is that, you know, is that they're imagining themselves with a spellbound audience that, that they can teach and tell, you know. Um, there's nothing small about their ambitions. If they want to be a cook, that's because, you know, because of all those colors that are sizzling in the saucepan. There's magic in that saucepan. All right? Everything. They want to be princes and princesses. They want to climb trees and, and imagine an imaginary kingdom. Uh, I know, you parents, you're going to tell me, you know, this was a long time ago and now they all look at screens. Some of you are going to tell me. But, but even in those screens, it's because there's a doorway into a wonder world. And you know, then, then the kids grow a little bit, a little bit older. They still, they still dream or we still dream. You know, we, we get a little older. Our dreams become more precise. And we pour ourselves in, into some of our ideals. You know, I want to be a doctor. I want to have a family. I want to do X, 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 X. You fill in the blank. Um, we have hopes. And uh, the Apostle Paul, um, he was one of those people, not only did he know what he desired, but he had the ability to work hard to get what he desired. And uh, he was, you know, he was, he was an ambitious theologian. Um, when we read about him in the book of Acts, in, even, even before he becomes a Christian, even when he's opposing the church, 
He's, a, he's, he's recognized as an up-and-coming star among his people. Um, and, uh, and he, you know, whatever he was going to do, be it, uh, you know, be it as, as a Pharisee, he probably had, had, had a Pharisee who, who was in the, you know, rising up to be in the, in the top ranks of his people. He, had, he must have memorized, some scholars say, the whole of the Old Testament. You know, whether it was that, whether it was persecuting the church, I mean, he talks about, he, he, when, he, when, he, when he talks about what was the measure of his zeal, he said, the sign of it, the evaluation of it was, I persecuted the church. And, and he was going to be the best persecutor you could ever be. Uh, that was Paul, you know, whatever, whatever he did, he was going to do um, with all his heart, he was going to do uh, brilliantly. Uh, he was a zealous believer and an ambitious man and a leader. And uh, yeah, he, you know, and, and so when you think about that, when you think about a person who had it all, it is amazing that as he talks about his ancestry, he talks about his energy, he talks about his success, he talks about how he was, whatever you want to call it, he was the cream of the crop, he was the top of the pops, he was the cream that rises to the top, you know, <laughs> whatever way you please, he was awesome in his world. And, uh, and his peers looked up to him. But inside him, he was hurting. You say, how do you know he was hurting? This is not in this passage. Well, I know it was hurting because in the book of Acts, there's three times when we read about the account of Paul's conversion. And in the third one, in Acts chapter 26, when Paul, Paul is telling an audience, he's actually on trial. And he's telling his audience about his conversion. And as he talks about encountering Jesus, one of the things, you know, he, many of us are familiar with the story. He, he, he met Jesus. He was, he was blinded by Jesus appearing in a, in a light. And, uh, you know, as he, Jesus told him, you're, you're persecuting me, which was a big, big shock to him. And, uh, but, but, but in, in, in that third account, one of the things that Paul remembers is he says that Jesus said to him, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. It is hard for you to kick against. In other words, Paul is on his way on a, on a persecuting mission. He meets the resurrected Jesus. He falls to the ground. Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And then Jesus says, it is hard for you to kick against the, go- the goads. Acts 26, 14 is where you can find that. And so what is that? Goads are... What today we might call a cattle prod. It, it was used, it was used by farmers to, you know, as they're, as they're herding the cattle and they want the, 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 the cattle to move in a certain direction, they, they prod the cattle. And Jesus was telling Paul, who on the outside was full of anger, full of zeal, passionate about persecuting the church, Jesus was telling him, why are you kicking against the goads. In other words, I think he was saying, he was saying, uh, you know, Paul, and I know that, that, that what you're doing, it hurts inside. It, I know you're hurting inside. Um, and, uh, and, 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 you know, inside he, he was hurting. He was, he was shocked to discover the person he thought was a false messiah was actually the real one. And, uh, uh, Jesus recognized that underneath the anger, there was a pain. And the pain came from a hole in his heart. And the hole in his heart had not been filled. 
He could recite books worth of scripture. But his heart had not been filled. You know, his career success, his religious success, it had not fulfilled him. He was empty, he was hurting. Because there's one thing, and only one thing, that can fill the ache that is in your heart and in mine. And that is the presence of God through Jesus Christ. You can be a YouTube influencer with a billion hits. But inside, you know that it doesn't fulfill. You can be a family man with a loving, admiring family around you. But even that doesn't bring to an end the striving of your soul. Um, about, uh, you know, a number of, a number of years ago, there was a, uh, there was a man, a, a, a famous writer, who, uh, some years later, uh, died. He actually committed suicide. But, uh, his name was David Foster Wallace. And, uh, he was a well-known, uh, novelist in, in, in the U.S. And he was not, 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 uh, he was not a Christian by any means. Okay? Uh, but he, he made a speech that in his world, turned heads because it was, it, it, it was fashionable, it is fashionable in intellectual circles to not have a simple faith. And, uh, and, uh, and, and, but he made the speech, uh, having come from a position of, of, of atheism or at least ag- ag- hardened agnosticism. And, uh, and this is what he said. It, it, was, it was in 2005 and this is a part of what he said. He said, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing, he said, as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid. And you'll need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious things about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful, it's that they're unconscious. They are default settings. Uh, and that turned some heads. But it goes a long way to explaining why hopes disappoint us. See, what we hope in is another way of, of, of saying, you know, these are things we worship. These are things that we tap meaning from. These are things that we get our identity from. And what he's saying is, in his view, uh, outside of something spiritual, in his view, uh, you know, there, there's, there's everything else he says will, will end up producing the opposite of, of what it promises. And, uh, and listen, there's a lot. If you're visiting here today and you think, yeah, that's where my life is at, well, hold on for the next point. But also, make sure that you ask the person who brought you 
Listen, just say, listen, I'd like, I'd like to learn more about this. You know, if you're visiting today and you think I'm not sure about this, let me urge you, explore it further. Think about it further. There's, there's loads of people in this room who, who became followers of Christ because, you know, we, we, we have reached, we have reached the end with, with trying to find meaning, uh, that, that was, that was, that was somehow, that was kind of generated by ourselves, you know, that was based on our own ambitions or, or things that we wanted. And so, uh, and so let's think about that. Let's think about that. Why do hopes disappoint us? Secondly, how does Christ fulfill? David Foster Wallace said, you know, I mean, he, he narrowed it down. He said, See, the only thing that possibly will, will fulfill you without disappointing you is some sort of spiritual worship. As Christians, uh, you know, we, uh, we, we kind of believe it's, it's even more narrow than that. Um, as Christians, we believe that, 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 that what Paul found, what Saul found, uh, is, 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 uh, is, is the experience of so many of us. That, that, that it is Christ who fulfills. Paul is consumed with wanting to know Christ. He, he talks about how real, uh, he's assuming that that's, that's a really real thing. He wants to know the power of, of, of Christ's resurrection. Um, in other letters, he talks about how he prays for even the, you know, the, for Christians to realize that power is available um, to them. Uh, you know, Christianity is more than self-help. It's not self-help. Christianity is more than self-improvement. Christianity is is real help from a real God who's found when we find Christ. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was visiting my sister in, in, in New Delhi. I, she's the uh, uh, she's the only one of my siblings that that still lives in India, and uh, she she was the caregiver for my, for, my, for our parents until they passed away a few years ago. And uh, so I try to go and see her um, every year. And uh, when I was with her, we both went to see some some friends of our parents and had had lunch with them. And uh, it was awesome because the, the, the as the conversation went on. It's steered towards uh, sort of religious and spiritual things, and uh, you know the, uh, the 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 wife was 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 telling us that uh, she, she was talking about how she had gone to a Christian school and uh, she was talking about some of the things she remembered learning. And then the husband, um, you know, he said he said Mohan, you know, for me, he said uh, I don't consider myself a very religious person, but here's how I view it. He said he said. You know, he said, I, 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 I think I know what I should be doing. He said, I think I know what I should be doing. But he said, in his words, the problem is implementation. <laughs> That's what he said. And so I thought, wow, this is awesome. What a great entry point, you know. And uh, I said, uh, I said, Mr. Anand, I said, uh, that is why. That's why as Christians, we say that... Humans need a savior. That's why we need a savior. Because I said, I said, the thing is, God has given us a conscience. And I said, you know, you must be familiar with the Ten Commandments in the Bible. And he said, yes. And I said, you know, there's, there's probably almost no one in the world who would disagree with the Ten Commandments. Or at least most of the Ten Commandments. Almost everybody would agree, because we're kind of born with that imprinted on our consciences. And uh, it, no matter what culture you're from. and But I said, the problem is, and the Bible says this is the problem, it's, it's implementation. Yes. We all know what we should do, but nobody does it. 
And, uh, and I said, that's why the Bible says we need a savior. We need, we need someone who, who can save us from uh, our complete inability to do what is right. And, uh, and, uh, and, you know, we, 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 we had, uh, we had that conversation and, uh, you know, I hope, I hope it'll lead to follow-up conversations in the future. If you're visiting here today, what, what does it mean that Jesus saves us? Jesus, the Bible says, literally offered himself in our place in a, in a courtroom of eternal judgment. Um, you know, you know, so many, I see a room of people who come from many, many different parts of the world. So many, so many of the moving stories from around the world involve one person putting themselves in the place of another person to save them. You know, there was a, uh, I don't know if you saw a, there was a nationwide um, advert that came out recently where there's a, a schoolgirl who's walking through some streets and uh, she's, I think she's going from home to school. And as she's going, this, the scenes sort of, uh, the scenes keep changing and, uh, and she, she's quoting the, the opening words from a tale of two cities. She says it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was a, whatever, the age of darkness. It was the age of light. It was the, you know, it was a time of reason. It was the time of incredulity. It was, you know, we had everything. We had nothing. We had everything or something like that. You know, she, and, that story, the tale of two cities, is, is, is such a story. It's, it's a story where at the, at the end of the story, if, if I'm not confusing, if I'm not confusing different, I think this is the one, but at the end, at the end of the story, there's a, a man who's in prison and, uh, uh, you know, his, his best friend had, had also been, when they were, when they were bachelors, his best friend had also liked the same woman who then became his wife. And, uh, and, and in the final, in the final scene, um, or almost final scene, the, the friend, uh, actually manages to get into the prison and arrange to, I don't know, I can't remember exactly, but knock out his friend and have him taken out and, and he looked, you know, he resembled his friend enough that, that he could dupe the authorities and so he, he took his place, um, to be hanged the next day. And there's a, there's a scene in the story where there's a, there's a shy woman who's also scheduled to, uh, to be executed the next day. And, you know, she comes close and she confesses her fear. And then, you know, she catches a sight of the, of the man's face and realizes it's not the man who was supposed to be hanged. It's his friend. And, and she says, you know, are you really doing this for him? And he says, yes, for him and for his wife and his child. And she said, oh, she said, oh, can I, can I hold your hand? Because I feel like if I just held the hand of someone so noble, someone so brave, some of that might rub off on me, you know. And there are stories, I get to, I, you know, growing up in, in, in India in a, in a different religion, I can think of stories that I heard as a boy from my culture. Why is it that there are stories in every culture where, where you know, there's a disaster and then there's a good prince and then he rescues the princess or the people you know, and, and, you know, risks himself in, in, in the bargain. Why are there those stories there? I think because in our hearts we know that we need rescuing. We know that we need rescuing. But in the case of Jesus, it's more than just a rescue operation. It's an act of justice. God literally ex- accepts the death of a perfect human being 
in order to prevent the death of the rest of us. You know, we're so, um, we're so averse to thinking that we should be found guilty of anything that this kind of teaching doesn't sit easily in our day and age. You know, uh, and yet, uh, and yet all you have to do is think about my friend's statement, my friend in India who said, the problem is implementation. Right. Think about your own life. I mean, I, I remember before I was a Christian thinking about um, how pure I should keep my mind, that certain thoughts were, were actually not good. That they were, you know, I didn't, I didn't even know the word sin, but I, I, I knew that those thoughts were sinful. I knew that the way that I behaved was selfish towards people. And as much as I thought, no, I should be different, I couldn't get myself to change. Yeah. And if I got myself to change for five minutes, I'd slip back again to my old selfish ways, you know. Um, and, uh, and, and so... And so we need to be rescued. You may be hearing this for the first time. You may need more explanation. Listen, as I said, stay behind. Ask questions. It may be the most, those questions you ask will be the most important questions you ask in your life. You know, but Jesus doesn't just deal with our guilt. He makes himself available to us. When Paul says, I want to know Christ, it implies that, you know, a human being can know God personally. Uh, that's a big claim. Uh, and a lot of times it's kind of watered down. Sometimes even as Christians, we water it down to, you know, positive thinking or something. We're like, well, if I just have this mindset, then, you know, it will go better for me because, hey, after all, doesn't a positive mind mean that more positive things will happen in your life? But it's, it, that's not what it is. Paul is talking about something that's very, very real. He's talking about it as being so real that it, you know, it's almost a dare. You know, uh, uh, do you want to test this? Do you want to test it out? I encourage you, test it out because people really change. And that is the test. I think of my own life, you know, um, before I became a Christian... I, m- most people who would, who would have looked at me, I was doing a, a master's degree in, in, in the University of London, and uh, most people who knew me probably would have described me as a, a decent guy. A decent guy, you know. I had my share of friends. I didn't, you know, provoke people unnecessarily. I, was, I wasn't like the most popular person around, but uh, I was a good guy. You know, went, went with the flow. But in my own heart, I knew... I was a singularly selfish person. Even the few good things that I did, really most of my motivation was, was, was for me to feel good about myself. I knew that. I, did, I, I knew I should do more for people. I knew I, I was ignoring, you know, uh, people's needs and uh, serving myself. I, I, I looked like I was going to, you know, pass my, my postgraduate and go on to have a successful career. But in my heart, I knew I was, I was spiraling. Because I, I, I knew, I knew my own lack of self-control when it came to, uh, when it came to my thought life, when it came to anger, when it came to lust, when, you know, when, in, in all, all those areas that humans struggle with. I knew that. And, uh, and yet, in becoming a Christian, and in, in working on myself, but with the help of God, and with the help of, of, of other people, I've seen myself Change, still a work in progress, still a work in progress, but changing from selfish 
to serving. Changing from spiraling to secure. Because I know what, what Christian so articulately said in, 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 in the communion that, you know, God, God loves us as, as a, as a husband should love his wife. Amen. And, uh, I just throw in the should. I was going to say love and then I thought, don't know everybody's experience, you know. All right. But, you know, lo- lots of people in this room went from being self-centered to giving, from being angry to patient. From being foul-mouthed to encouraging. From being sexually out of control to self-controlled. You know, and more. There are walking examples of transformation in this room. Sure, sure there are some things that take years to change. But but the change is real. And it's not down to positive thinking. Because I know that I'm not, you know, that strong. I know that I'm not that smart to figure out. What it was that I needed to change. I know Christ. And that, and that, and so, and so can you. Amen. He said, you know, he, he says, uh, so here's the question though. You may be a Christian here today and you may say, yeah, you know, I feel tense because I once really believed it just like that. And in my heart, I would still like to believe it just like that. But that's not my experience. And, uh, you know, Listen, there are a variety of reasons why it might not be your experience. Uh, so I would definitely, you know, talk to some strong Christians who know you well um, to talk about that. Uh, you know, there may be cases of, 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 of you know, illness or, or, or various kinds of disabilities um, that, that, that make it, that maybe make, maybe just make concentrating hard. Okay. Um but, but one of the reasons why we don't change, maybe a more fundamental reason why we don't change, is it's that second part. He says, I want to know the power of the resurrection. That's an awesome thing to want. Who doesn't want some power in their lives? Yeah. But then he goes on and says, yeah. sharing with him in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death. And that, you know, is a, is a less less desirable thing. <laughs> Why do some people not experience the transforming power of Christ? Because to do so, you must die to yourself. You must give up your old attachments. Um, you must no longer live for those false gods that we were talking about a few minutes ago. Um, you know, if you're a Christian and you're thinking it's been a long time since I've seen real change in my life, ask yourself this, what are you holding back from God? What is it that you're holding back? Um, you know, I would urge you, before you leave the room today, set up an appointment with your family group leader and have a talk about a plan for personal growth for 2020. Okay? Because it is possible, um, but, but we do need to, we do need to desire Christ above all in the way that Paul is talking about. Finally, point three, when is it time to move on? When is it time to move on? You know, um, Paul, uh, I love the fact that Paul is humble enough to say, which is really, really helpful to me and I think to all of us, where he says, hey, I haven't obtained all this. I haven't obtained all this. And, you know, it's it's written in the present tense. I don't know how old he was when he wrote it, but even if he had written it on the last day of his life, he probably would have had to say, I haven't obtained all this. So, you know, it's encouraging to know that this is a lifetime of work. And on, on, on the day before I pass on to be with the Lord, I'm sure I'm going to have a big list of things to do and a big list of things to change. Okay, and so, and so, hey, uh, uh, you know, 
We, uh, we thank God for His grace, Amen. which gives us the space Amen. and the freedom, uh, to grow, uh, to grow while we surely are going to be making a lot of mistakes. But he talks about pressing on and, and pressing on towards a destination. Uh, when I came back from that trip to India, I was amazed that I was, I was in a, it, the technology in planes seems to get better and better. You know, I traveled and, and it, the time seemed to pass very quickly and then even the passport lines, you just stick your passport there on, you know, on a, almost like tapping your oyster card at a tube station in London, you know, and you're through the line and isn't it amazing? They got flights now from Australia directly to, to here and, and they're working, they've got, apparently now the technology is such that you, you don't feel as uncomfortable with the pressurization in the cabins and all that. I don't know, but that's what they're all working on. But you know what's amazing to me is, as I think about when all of these places were discovered, that was a long time ago, right? And, uh, am I going too long? Seem flying. He hates flying. Roger hates flying. Right. Press on. Press on towards the gold road. Transformation. It doesn't matter. When Jesus comes back, you can walk on water. Until then. Amen. So then, that's it. We'll give you a, a shot of something and take you on a plane. But, but you know, you know. I, it's, it's amazing. All these places, Australia and, and, you know, the Americas and so much of the world, at the time when they were discovered, there was no planes and digital passports and, you know, there was, there was, uh, there was people who, who, who got on wooden boats with sails and, uh, it was, it was a, it was a bit of a miss. You know, do you know, I, I heard about one explorer who, he, he went round, you know, from Europe to the other end of the world. He found New Zealand. Okay, I don't know if you've got a picture of the, a map, map in your head, you know. But he found New Zealand, and then he found Tasmania. Okay, Tasmania is a little island below Australia. Australia is humongous, all right? And he missed Australia. <laughs> he found New Zealand he fa- because it was all just hit and miss. It was all it was boats and sails and... and that's how they, all these places that we talk about flying in one flight and, and, you know, just, just how easy it is now. And, 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 you know, we come with our digital passports and tap on the street. Those places were found by explorers who actually didn't know whether they thought they were going to India and they found Jamaica, you know, and, or, or Guyana or, or, or the U.S. or, you know, it was, that's how we found all those places. There were people, and, you know, this is what it must have been like. They must have been, there must have been several points where some ship captain was on the high seas, loads of ocean in front of him, loads of ocean behind him, and he had to decide, am I ever going to get there? Is there like an edge that I'll fall over? I mean, and he had to decide, do I go back or do I press on? I can't see the destination. But see, if they hadn't done all that, we wouldn't have all these places to go. Right. Or we wouldn't know about them, maybe, you know? Or they would have been discovered much later. Um, the world as we know it wouldn't have been discovered if they hadn't said to themselves, forgetting what lies behind. I press on toward the goal, you know? Um, in the Bible, it's kind of a theme. When Israel wandered round and round in the desert, the promised land must have seemed a long way off, you know? Uh, they, they, they were led by God. It was a pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. Should have been inspiring. Um, but it was 40 years long. 
And to many of them, it felt like a life sentence more than a pilgrimage. And for many of them, it was a life sentence. Um, you know, their biggest threats, it wasn't the desert. It wasn't their enemies who lived along the way. Their biggest threat was, do you remember? It was remembering what they had left behind. And the, me- you know, the memory can play tricks on you when you get weary. See, it just, you know, you read, you read the records today and you know it doesn't add up. These guys, they were, they were, they were slaves in Egypt. They were in such oppression that, you know, through Moses, God said, I've heard you're crying out. I've, I've seen your oppression. I've heard you crying out. I'm coming to help you, you know. But, you know, cut to, cut to whatever, to, to, to the crossing of the Red Sea and then they're, not, and they're like, oh, we remember, you know, sitting around pots of meat and, <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean? It, because it, it, as you get weary, as you get weary, the memory, the memory does those trips. Maybe, you know, and maybe it was better back, back there. Um, you know, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone puts their hands to the plow and looks back, he is not fit. He, if anyone puts their hand to the plow and looks back, he is not fit for service in the kingdom of God. Um, and, uh, you know, and another time he said, he said, uh, referring to another famous story, which we don't have time to go into, but he said, don't look back, remember Lot's wife. Don't look back, but look forward. And, and so in that long list of teachings, and there are more, we find this one of Paul's where he says, uh, forget what lies behind, press on towards what is ahead. How do we do that? We move forward daily by affirming the truths about God's word to ourselves. Okay, we, we affirm the truth and we deny the lies that hold us back. You know, um, uh, you know, in, uh, t- let me see, I've got so much material here, I'm not going to use all of it. Uh, no, sometimes I write a lot and then I think, it's too much. <laughs> you know, uh, in, 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 in verses 19 and 20, it, it, it says, you know, it, it says, sometimes we can be attracted to the world. So maybe we're in our own version of sitting and remembering some pots of meat when we were in slavery in the world. You know, we remember maybe the freedom we had to have immoral relationships or the, or the freedom that we had to, uh, I don't know, to pursue, uh, to pursue money above all else or, or whatever it is else that it is that we were into. Um, but, but it, maybe we, maybe we remind ourselves as it says here in verses 19 and 20. Hey, if you live like that, your destiny is destruction. Your God is your stomach and your glory is in your shame. Your mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await uh, a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when, when we hear that voice that says, oh yeah, you're a Christian. Yesterday, before we came down, we had, um, you know, once a year in West London, we, we have a... Uh, uh, there's a shopping center in Hounslow where uh, where they love us. They really do. Every year they allow us to uh, sing carols for a couple of hours and and put out buckets for Hope Worldwide uh, inside the shopping center. And uh, and people come and stop and listen and and play. so we were singing our hearts out. That's why my voice is a little bit off. We, 
you know, it, it, carols are awesome because some of them have really great words. And there's people who you can't get to church, but sometimes when I'm singing, I think, this is my chance to declare to them that Jesus came, you know. So we were, but there was this, yesterday, unusually, usually it all just goes out really smoothly, but yesterday there was this one fella, and I think he wasn't well. He really, really wasn't well, you know, but he, he, he started, uh, sort of dancing in a, in a, in a, in a funny way in front of us. And then he started making some, he started looking at the sisters and he, then he started making a few, you know, crude gestures and, and, and then he would go away and then he would, would come back and he, but, but I remember, you know, we were, I was always like just about to go and get security or something, but then, then he would go away again. And, uh, and, but I remember thinking, it's kind of like singing in front of the devil. Yeah. There's even, even the look on his face and I was like, this is kind of like think, singing, in, and he would say some things in a raspy voice, you know, and, and I'd, I'd be like, this is, you know, sometimes we're trying to do what's right, and it's like the devil is speaking to us, you know, and there I was trying to enjoy my Christmas carols, and, and, but I was distracted, you know, and doesn't the devil work like that? Yeah. And, you know, maybe you're, 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 but you hear this voice that says you're a Christian, but you don't have, you don't have X. The thing that you cherish. You don't have that special relationship. You don't have a decent job. You don't have a nice car. You don't have your own home. You're missing out. When you hear that voice, you know, it's unfair. And and, and when you talk about it, other Christians don't understand you. When you hear that voice, how do you overcome it? You overcome by using God's word. You know, you, 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 you tell that devil... Hey, listen, their enemy is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. But our citizenship is in heaven. Amen. You know, um, we could say to ourselves daily, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Um, we could say in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. We could say, I die and my life is now hidden with God in Christ. When Christ, who is my life, appears, I also will appear with him in glory. We could say, get behind me, Satan. You know, um, you know, we could, we could say, we could say, sometimes, sometimes, have you ever noticed those psalms where the psalmist is kind of speaking to himself in a very interesting way? You know, the psalmist is, 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 is asking questions of his own soul and he's saying, why are you so downcast, my soul? Some of that self-talk is is useful. Have you ever seen a, a tennis player in between points? Yeah. Like when they're when they're down a point or two, and they're they're like they're off in the corner. They're, they're, they're <laughs> right. They're they're talking to themselves. Right. They're just uh, trying to get themselves going again. You know. Uh, they're furiously admonishing themselves. They're trying to avoid a defeated mindset. Uh, you know. They're trying to see by faith and not by sight. And, uh, and, you know, people do that in all situations. But unlike them, there's no guarantee that that tennis player is going to win the next point. But in our case, you know, if we, if, we, if, we, if we speak the word of God to ourselves, there is a guarantee. Yeah, you'll have to persevere. But there is a guarantee of victory. There is a guarantee of change. There is a guarantee of the, of the ultimate, you know, where, where Jesus will come back and, and he'll make anything you've suffered more than worth your while. We won't, we won't even, you know, I, I don't know if there's going to be regret when Jesus comes back. But if there is, possibly the only thing I'll regret is, why didn't I sacrifice more? Th- this is so awesome 
why didn't I just get, why did I hesitate? You know, why didn't I give up more? And, uh, we, you know, we, we, we stand on, on solid ground. The promises of God are cast iron. The Bible says not a single word of God falls to the ground. There is a person in history called Jesus Christ. Hundreds of people witnessed him alive after they had witnessed him die on a cross. If they hadn't seen him alive, there wouldn't be a church. You know, there are New Testament scholars who are absolute atheists. But they admit that if the disciples hadn't seen the resurrected Christ, that the church wouldn't have spread the way that it did. They admit, now they try to find some other explanation for it, alright? But, but it happened. Uh, the, 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 that's the God who, who, who gives us his word. And so when he says, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards, uh, you know, what is ahead, towards the goal that God has called us, called us to, you can absolutely trust the past doesn't have to trap you. What do you need to move on from? Failure? You know, trauma? Mistreatment? Listen, just remember, God loves you to the skies. He hung on a cross to prove it. He rose from the dead to prove that he can do something about it. How do you move on? Every day, you affirm God's truths to yourself, and you deny the lies of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Last challenge, don't be stingy with God. Amen. Okay, you know, uh, the, in, in Proverbs 3 and verse 3, it says, let, let steadfast love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. You know, uh, uh, I think he's talking about relying on God's steadfast love and faithfulness to us. Uh, that we find written all over the pages of the Bible. You know, don't be stingy in your time with God. Spend generous amounts of time in Bible study. You know, the, the Bible should be like background music in our head all day long. Um, and tell yourself over and over again what, what, what you've read. Amen. One thing... I do. Forgetting what lies behind, we press on towards the goal that Jesus has called us to. Listen, hopes disappoint us, but but Christ fulfills us. Christ fulfills us, so it's time to move on. Okay? And if, if, if there are things in your life where you think, no, it's not that easy to move on, let me urge you, again, as I've said over and over today, let me urge you, don't leave today without, without setting up an appointment with someone. Say, listen, I need to talk about some things in my life where I feel stuck, but I want to move on. I want to have this kind of walk with God again, you know, to pursue the knowledge of Christ and, uh, and to see God working in my life for His honor. Thank you so much. You are awesome. God bless.